All right, so yeah, we'll see you over there this afternoon, hopefully, and we're scheduled to, if everything goes according to our plans, if they're lined up with the Lord's, we'll be closing escrow in the middle of October and moving over there in November, and for sure planning a Thanksgiving service there in November, but maybe getting in a few weeks sooner. So keep that in prayer, too, because seriously, as much as, yeah, it's exciting and it looks to be the Lord, we always want to be open to whatever God does and be flexible and not just assume that we know now we need to make it happen. Um, We want to follow the Lord every step of the way in this endeavor, so do keep that in prayer. I'd also like to encourage you on Wednesday nights to come out. We're going through the book of Proverbs, and it's really been a lot of fun because Proverbs is just so full of practical wisdom. And so come on out Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock for that Bible study. Now if you'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. On Sunday mornings here, we've been going through the book of Galatians for as long as I can remember. And... uh, We've been the last several weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the, the sign that God is working in your life by His Spirit. And it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. But then it goes on to give these other characteristics that line up with love. And it says the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 of chapter 5 is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This morning, we're going to look at those last three characteristics, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we've been looking at the others, if you haven't been here, I would encourage you to get the, get the tapes or go online and download the MP3s and, so that you can get the full picture of the study. Again, what we're talking about is the alternative lifestyle to living in the flesh, It's an option that we don't have to live lives as as he describes here with adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's how we will live automatically. If God isn't intervening in our lives, if we aren't walking in the Spirit, if we aren't living in relationship to God, our life will tend to look more like that. But as we are walking in the Spirit, He does a work in our lives that causes some of these other characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, to grow forth. We start to notice, other people start to notice, and we realize, you know, my life is changing. I actually see that I'm becoming a more loving person. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling happier. There's a peace that's settling in that is surprising to me. And that's the image, the picture of what it is to walk in the Spirit. And so this morning, first as we look at the word faithfulness, we tend to think of faith as believing something really hard. I really believe it. We often think that there's this big disconnect because, boy, you know, I believe it, but I'm just not practicing it. There are a lot of people who say that, but to me, that isn't really a problem. The problem is what I am practicing is what I believe. We all act consistently with our beliefs because if we really believe it, it's what we really do. Faithfulness is believing the right things, but it's more than that. The word faithfulness refers to a consistency 
It refers to a dependability. It refers to someone who's just hanging in there. You know, long-suffering talks about how for a long time you'll take it. But faithfulness is that you're still, after taking it, after going through difficult times, that you're still believing, you're still hanging in there, you're still manifesting this quality of character whereby people can trust in you. They can believe that you'll be there for them. They can count on you. This is a characteristic faithfulness that's most easily seen in God because he is the one who is most faithful. And there's a verse that you should all know or be aware of over in Lamentations chapter 3. Maybe you don't know any verse in Lamentations. Well, underline this one. Lamentations is after Jeremiah. It's a book that was written by Jeremiah. But this is such an important two verses Lamentations chapter 3. And I'll give you just a moment to, to hunt that one down. It goes after Proverbs, where we are now going through the Bible on Wednesdays. Then you're going to say Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. It says this, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. We deserve to be consumed, but because of his mercy, we aren't. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. God is faithful. You can count on him. You can depend on him. He will always be there for you. You don't ever have to wonder whether or not he will show up every day. His compassions don't fail. His mercies are new every morning. This is where the, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, came from, from this verse. And you and I need to hang on to these two verses and, and to believe them and to understand them because it's understanding how faithful God is that will ultimately help us to get a consistency in our lives and to, to have a faithfulness. Last night I had the incredible privilege of going over and renewing the vows for a couple that's been married now for 50 years. And it was so, it was the most inspiring thing, especially as their kids shared that in 50 years, and, and their kids are younger than 50, and they said, every time dad came home, mom was waiting at the door to give him a hug, to welcome him home. And they said, Dad, talking to you about mom, and every time when we'd be off with the guys and you'd start talking about mom and we would see tears coming into your eyes. That was what they were. And, and they said, we can't. They said, I'm sure you had difficulties, but as kids, we never knew about it. We never saw you fight. We never saw you quarrel. When they were saying that, I was going, oh, shoot, my kids can't say that. But 50 years of faithfulness, how amazing is that? And there as I began to give them the vows and as the husband started to recite the vows, he got choked up and could hardly say them. 50 years. Some of you lost that in six weeks of marriage. And it's like 50 years, that's faithfulness. Often when we talk about faithfulness, in a marriage, we limit the scope way too much. 
You know, and we talk about marital fidelity or marital faithfulness as meaning, you know, not going and sleeping with someone else. And that's kind of what our idea is. But, you know, when you promise yourself to someone else in marriage, you're promising a lot more than just that. As you promise to live together after God's holy ordinance in the state of matrimony, to love, comfort, honor, and keep each other in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, to love and to cherish until death do us part, you're promising a mouthful. We don't just say, okay, repeat after me. Look in your bride's eyes and say this, I'll never sleep with anybody else. (laughs) Fidelity is so much more than just that. The truth is, fidelity in a marriage is saying that I want to give you the kind of consistency that God gives me. I'm promising that you can always count on me, that I'll be, I'll be faithful to you, to do what I've promised to do, to do what I am called to do. Now, even as I say it, you know, there are some of you who are thinking, boy, this is bumming me out already. This is just point one, and I'm already like, oh, man, I've been so unfaithful to what I've promised. I've been such a lousy spouse. Well, take heart. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This is something that God has to do in our lives. This isn't something that if you don't do it, I'm going to beat you up over it. I'm going to lay a guilt trip on you. This is something on a day-to-day basis that we understand, wow, that faithfulness, that is awesome. That is something that I want. I want that consistency. I want to be depended on in the same way that God's mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great. I want to be that way. But in and of ourselves and in our flesh, that just doesn't happen. In our society today, we are so flaky, we hardly know what faithfulness really is. Back in the day, it seems like it was different. Maybe I'm just getting old and crotchety and starting to resent the young generation. But you know, Back when I was a kid, people would go to the same church their whole lives. A guy would work for the same company his whole life. The baseball players would play for the same team their whole lives. And if you went to the store, you knew which store. It was the only store around. It was the way it worked. But over time, I mean, if I want to go to the store, I'm within 10 minutes of 200 different stores that sell a lot of them the same things. And not only that, I'm a keystroke away on my computer to being able to shop all over the world. And if I want to get taught the word, oh, I have so many choices, so many options. I can treat church like a salad bar and go, you know, like like going to the soup plantation. And, you know, I get my soup over here. I get a little salad over here. These guys have great pizza and the dessert. Ooh, and, I, and I'm bouncing around, and it's like, no, there's, there's not a, even an attempt or a desire to settle down. Now, I'm certainly not saying that, you know, you just need to stay where you are and never change. But the point is, are we faithful in our lives? Can people count on us? Can they know that if, if we bump heads, that they're not going to be deserted? Now, some of you have been hurt deeply by someone being unfaithful to you. In whatever way, in whatever area, someone has let you down. Someone has disappointed you. 
And as a result, sometimes the lesson we learn from that is, I guess the faithful ones are the stupid ones. I guess, what was I thinking? I was there. I was dependable. I could be trusted, and yet I find all around me are people who I can't trust. I can't depend on. Oh, be careful. Don't learn the lesson of unfaithfulness. Don't allow that to infect your life. The time to seek for faithfulness is now. Don't go back and worry about where, you know, oh, you've made so many promises that you haven't kept in your life. That's, the cows are already out of the barn on that. But how about starting to be faithful right now? And I'm not telling you to be faithful. What I'm telling you to do is to be filled with the Spirit. What I'm telling you to do is to nurture your walk with God. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk with Him. Draw close to Him. Admit to Him your frailties. Admit to Him your weaknesses. And just go, God, I'm not very dependable. I'm flaky. I'm going through life just trying to pick and choose whatever I want right now for me. And Lord, I hate to think about people counting on me. That would be a big mistake. But instead, to begin today and to realize, and really all of these fruits of the Spirit, it's not there for you to fix yourself. It's not there for you to beat yourself up and feel guilty about what you aren't. It's there as a shopping list of prayer, really, to go, wow, 50 years of marriage, I want that. I want that. I want that kind of dependability. Boy, when I see people who are faithfully serving in a ministry year after year and, and continuing to love those kids in the Sunday school and to teach them faithfully, oh, man, I want that. I want to settle into what, what you're doing in my life, God. And, and, Lord, frankly, I'm not doing it. And then, so, Lord, I want to draw close to you by your Spirit. All that I want to matter anymore is that you work in my life. And how do I know that's happening? I start to look at myself and go, I can't believe it. Normally I'm real flaky, but all of a sudden, this time I wasn't. I hung in there and I finished something that I started. I maintained that commitment. I quit thinking about how to get out of everything, and I'm, I'm starting to see God's doing a work. See, Paul told the Corinthians, it's required in a steward that he be found faithful. That is the number one requirement for somebody who wants to serve the Lord, just to be faithful, not to be flashy, not to be talented, not to impress everyone, not to be smart. It's required that you be found faithful. And so where we aren't faithful, though we are faithless, he is faithful. He can do that work in our lives, and He wants to. And that should be the prayer of our heart. That should be the desire of our heart. And that's what we should look at to see how we're doing. Is this what our life looks like? The next thing that He mentions here in verse 23 now of Galatians 5 is a word that here in, in the New King James is translated gentleness. Now, a lot of these words, there's an overlap and and different translations will use different words. But this word here at its, at its basic root means to be teachable. It's to be easily entreated. It's to be negotiable. It also, it's come to mean gentleness because if you really want to, if you come with an attitude of, I don't know everything, then you're going to treat people a little more cautiously. 
In the same way that, you know, Peter told husbands to treat their wives as a delicate vessel. We sometimes go, yeah, weaker. They sure are weak. That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, understand, you can break your wife. You can, if you're too rough with her emotionally, it can destroy who she is. We sometimes think that what we need to do is to be strong and to convince people of our position. And in the process, we tend to lose that gentleness. We tend to use that, lose that capacity that we have to actually be teachable. Notice how Jesus dealt with people personally. Now, remember, he was God. He knew everything. Could have flashed the God ID anytime he wanted, you know? And, boy, I, you know, I think of the woman at the well. Man, could he have blown her away? Don't you realize who I am? Now, you need to get down here and he's repent right now. Quit what you're doing. Fix everything. But instead, he, act, he started asking her questions and having a conversation with her. As if he was learning from her. Well, she ended up learning plenty from him and bringing other people to him as well. But I'm impressed with how gentle he was with, with somebody who was such a bruised reed that he could have broken her easily if he wasn't careful. She had been used and taken advantage of and injured by men, and she had done her share of that as well. And yet there he is so tenderly and so gently treating her with respect in that gentle, teachable way. There's nothing worse than dogmatism. Now, there are certain things that we know and we need to hang on to, but there's so much else that we think we know that we really don't. Have you ever thought something and believed it with all your heart and then later found out you were wrong? Now, if you're sitting here going, no, I really haven't. Pretty much everything I've always known, I still know. And then you better get to praying about this word here. <laughs> because the truth is, we're wrong a lot. In every disagreement, in every interaction where we differ with someone else, we both think we're right. And the odds are, in every case, either we're both wrong or at least one of us has to be wrong. And I know that most of the time I'm right, so that means most of you are wrong more than 50% of the time. You know, I find out all the time that I'm wrong. And, and yet, if my attitude is, I know everything, and here you go. You come and ask me, and I'll tell you. I've figured out the secrets of life. In fact, the only thing that's really wrong with this world is that they won't do things my way. The older I get, the more I find out I don't know. And the more when I'm talking to someone who differs than me, I realize maybe I could learn something from this person. Why did Jesus present himself in such, a, in such a meek way? I don't know, but he did. And it's probably because it makes him approachable. He does know everything, and yet he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you'll find rest for your souls. How can he say that? Learn of me. I am meek and lowly. You'll find rest. Because Jesus is secure in what he knows and who he is, and as a result, he doesn't feel like the world depends on 
him bringing everyone over to his side, and he knows, in fact, it doesn't work that way. You have to give people the same choice that God gives them. And for us, it's doubly important because we are wrong a lot. In that chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, where, which is really a sister passage to Galatians 5, as it talks about love and what it means, it says something there. Paul says something that should be ingrained in each of us all the time. Every time we have a spat or a dispute with someone, he says, after talking about love, he said, for now we know in part. We don't know everything. Right now we know in part. And as long as that is true, who do you think you are to be so dogmatic, to be so sure of yourself? Hey, I may admire your certainty, but I realize you are human and you're wrong more than you think you are. And so am I. And that is the best attitude to approach someone with. I'm not afraid. There are some people who think, oh, if I'm open-minded, boy, everything's just going to spill out and I'll be influenced by everyone. Baloney, that's not the case. I'm not threatened by having someone else share their perspective. I'm not worried about that any more than Elijah was worried on Mount Carmel when he let the prophets of Baal do their thing. He was enjoying the show. Didn't threaten him. He wasn't afraid that, that the prophets of Baal would call fire from heaven. He knew there's one God. There's a true God. Let them have their say. Let them try their thing. I'm not afraid. Man, I remember when I was younger, I used to just love it when I would see a Jehovah's Witness coming down the street. Because, oh man, I have my stuff ready for them. And I know how to bait them and lead them to say what I want them to say so I can put the, put the spear in. And, I, you know, I would, they'd come to the door and begin to talk, and I would lead them toward a verse like John 1.1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I knew exactly what they were going to say. In the Greek New Testament, it actually should be translated a God. Because it's anarticular. There's no definite article. And so Dr. Julius Maddy says that it, when that's the case. And I'd go, oh, interesting. And then I'd reach behind my door and pull out my Jehovah's Witness Greek New Testament. And they'd look, uh-oh, you know, the purple one. That's, that's the one my, my boss uses. And I would open it up and I would show them in the Scriptures, in their own Bible, how wrong they were. And then if that wasn't enough, I'd pull out the little quote from Dr. Julius Matty, who they cite, and say, see, he says he didn't mean that, and that's completely wrong and cultic. And I would just enjoy that fulfilling, rewarding <laughs> feeling of seeing Jehovah's Witness cry. And, and after that, seeing them pedal their bikes even faster when they got to my house so they could go try somewhere else. But you know what? I didn't win them for the Lord. I put a notch in my belt. I made some good stories to tell everybody, boy, praise the Lord, I got a Jehovah's Witness to cry yesterday. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. I'm, I was fooling myself and thinking that was ministry. Now, there's a place for that and a way to do that. But the character that God wants us to be is that we aren't the kind of people who just slam everyone with what we know. It's that teachable idea that we can receive and benefit from everyone with whom we differ. Because there might be some things they have to say that could help us. 
There might be something that they could do that if we're just gentle, we could bring things out of them that would never come out otherwise and see things about ourselves that we might not see otherwise. And this is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you live your life like a bull in a china shop, just knocking into everybody and pushing people over and get out of my way and I know what I'm doing, if that's the way you live, that's the flesh. Don't just hide behind, well, you know, I'm just kind of a blunderbust. And, no, that's not the way God wants you to live. The fruit of the Spirit is, again, it's to be able to be gentle. It's to be entreatable. It's to be negotiable. It's to sit and listen to someone else, to realize there may be something that you are supposed to learn about this. It's one of the reasons why, by the way, I've never written a book. I have people all the time, you know, you ought to write a book about this, or you ought to write a book, or you ought to make that sermon into a book. Listen, I'm not so crazy about having my sermons even on tape. <laughs> because I've watched so many people, they write a book, and then they change in some way. They realize, boy, that was a dumb thing. And, but now it's in print. People have bought the book. People who are living by it, giving it to other people. And so now what you have to do is spend the rest of your life defending something that you don't even believe anymore and saying, well, what I meant was, instead of just going, whoops, I, you know, I, I reserve the right to say whoops about anything. And I, you know, believe me, I, I sometimes hear myself on the radio and go, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> that was dumb. So you have that disclaimer. But how much better for us if we approach life and we approach people and we approach the Word with an openness that says, okay, here's what I have come to conclude based on what I have seen. But I'm open. I'm willing to listen. I'm not just going to push my way and force my way through things. And so often, when we think that we are right, we're so sure of that, that ends up causing us to wound and injure everyone around us, not just in our theology, but in every area of life. It makes us crazy that because we know so much and someone else doesn't know as much as we know, and therefore, they're doing things that are completely irrational and illogical and can't, you know... I mean, I had a, I know a couple of weeks ago I was telling you my son was down surfing in Mexico for a couple of days and never calls, you never know where he is, it's just Mexico, it's a big country. And, and uh, well, he got a week off work this week. And so he announced to me, you know, uh, yeah, I'm going to go down to Mexico for a week and I'm taking a friend. And one of his friends is a kid in the youth group here who's 14 years old. And I'm like, what? No way. That's crazy. Liability, blah, blah, blah. I'm giving him my best pitch as to why no way should you do it. And then I thought, wait a minute. Jeff Henneforth is a lawyer. If Jeff says liability-wise, and Jeff's led missions trips and things like that. So I said, tell you what, why don't you talk to Jeff? And if Jeff says that this makes sense, then great, go for it. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff told him... <laughs> Jeff told him, hey, no problem. I've got this form you can get filled out. You'll be okay. Great. Have a great time. And now I have to go either say, well, Jeff's stupid. <laughs> or I go, yeah, maybe it's okay. Now, I'm a little nervous. He still hasn't called. I'm, but, you know, at some point, you just have to go, maybe I don't have all the answers. 
Maybe just because something's my opinion, it doesn't mean I have to fight for it no matter what. You know you're getting this way when you start making stuff up in order to win an argument. Well, I think I read somewhere that this, and they go, where'd you read that? Uh, internet? Uh. <laughs> no, our attitude should not be one of dogmatism. Now, if the truth of the universe depended on us, we probably better be dogmatic. But it depends on God. He doesn't need us to defend him. He causes everything to work together for good. What I'm saying is you don't have to be right. You may know you're right, but you don't need to make everybody else see that you're right. Eventually, if you're right, you can say, I told you so, and they'll know how wise you are. But man, for all those times in your life that you argued for something that turned out to be an overreaction, or all those times that you allowed your family to be divided, or you allowed Satan to come in and come between friends or ministry to be affected just because you had to make your point, you know, it's not the way to live. It's not the way God wants us to be. We can be so secure that we let other people be wrong. We don't feel like we have to fix them. When they start asking us for advice, then that probably shows that we've been doing a pretty good job of being gentle. But don't give people your opinion when they're not even asking you. That's crazy. There are some people who will come up to a perfect stranger in the store and say, uh, by the way, you know, that thing that you're buying there, it's really not that great of a product. And then what do they do? They, if they already decided that they wanted it, they think, who is this weirdo bugging me? And they'll report you to the manager or something. Or... You know, they go, well, who are you and what do you know? And it turns out you don't have any credentials. I, the things I love are strangers who tell you how to deal with your own kid. You know, you, you have a little kid out in public and they're screaming and just being brats and, and you're trying to talk to them and somebody's, you shouldn't talk to them that way. Yeah, okay, you might be right, but am I asking you, Dr. Dobson? <laughs> you know, I... But we need an attitude of humility of gentility, of teachability. We need that attitude that just says, I'm not the expert. God is the expert. And I see you doing things that I wish you wouldn't do, but I believe so much in God that I'm going to go right to him over your head, and I'm going to ask God to change you. I'm going to ask God to do a work in your life. And then I'm just going to sit back and know that I had a part in it, and you don't even know I had a part in it. Rather than to go alienate people by bowling them over, and then even when you're right, it does damage. Even when you're right, you're wrong. Finally, as he says here, faithfulness, gentleness, and then finally, self-control. Self-control, you know, James or Peter said to add to your, add to your faith or add to your knowledge self-control. Self-control, the word there really doesn't mean self-control per se. It came to mean that, but the word literally just means in strength. And it's a nice summary of all this stuff. If the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and we are walking in the Spirit, we will start to become effective. People will see a strength in us that doesn't come from us at all. Mostly when people get to know us, they see the weaknesses because our weaknesses are glaring, let's face it. They stand out, they jump out at us and at everyone else too. We're usually the last to know how weak we are. But when God works in our lives, 
there's this cool, deceptive thing that happens whereby God begins to change us, and for all the world, it looks like self-control. People look at us and just go, you are so disciplined. I can't believe it. I see that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that goodness, that kindness. I see that faithfulness and gentleness. You are a disciplined person. And you can go, yep, yeah, you know, it takes years of practice, and I pretty much got this Christian life thing down. Or you can tell them the truth. It may look like self-control, but really what it is is there is a strength in me, in strength. There's something happening inside me where God is doing this. And believe me, if you saw my heart, if you knew how I am naturally, if you understood what I want to do when I'm in the flesh, you're not going to see self-control. I'm as big a flake as anyone else. But... God has done a work in my life. So to the extent that it looks like I'm in control, it's not that at all. It's that he's in control. And I'm beginning to discover what it is to let him control my life. And that's what it is to be filled with the Spirit. That's what it is to walk in the Spirit. Now, all of these, this whole grocery list of characteristics, who would look at this and say, I wouldn't want to be like that? Or to say, you know, looking at the works of the flesh, I'd like to be a person with an explosive temper. I'd rather have that than to be gentle. I don't want to be gentle. Man, I want to hurt people. There are people who feel that way. But most people don't. Most people would say, yeah, you know, when it comes right down to it, I, that's not what I want to be. I have a friend who came over to my house yesterday to talk to me, and he's been, he was a great wrestler, and now he's making a living fighting professionally. You know, he came over, and we were talking. He was telling me about his last fight where, you know, he was just caving this guy's face in with his elbow strikes, and, and it, it was, it was, it was kind of cool hearing about it, to be honest with you. But <laughs> I said, so what do you think God wants you to do? I mean, do you, do you feel like God's called you to fight? And he goes, you know what? I, I'm good at fighting, but he said, I hate it. I really don't want to live that kind of a life. I, I'd like to just know that I'm doing something for the Lord. I'd like to know what he has for me and for him to lead me and guide me. And you know, I don't want to fight the rest of my life. And it was like, you know what? There are so many people who don't have the insight or the courage to come to that conclusion. And as a result, we're walking in the flesh. We're alienating everyone around us. Our life is more characterized by jealousy and envy and anger and outbursts. And it's because we're doing what comes naturally. And what we need to do is to curl up with God, to draw close to Him, to nurture our relationship with the Spirit in such a way that these traits and characteristics flow forth naturally from our lives, supernaturally by God. And He can do it. You may feel right now that your life is out of control. Right now, there may be some habits that you're indulging in that you just feel like, I just, I've tried to discipline myself and I can't do it. Your anger, your flakiness, your undependability, it may be taking over your life. And you may just feel like, I can't do this. 
Oh, you know, I hear about, oh, yes, faithful. That's what I want to be. I want to be the kind of person that's just always there no matter what, always dependable, devote myself again to those vows that I made when I was married, devote myself to serving God, being committed to the people around me. Yeah, I want to do that, but I just can't. And I I wouldn't argue with you. Whenever somebody comes and tells me, you know, I just can't do it anymore, I don't argue. You're right. It's a great lesson to learn that you can't do it anymore. You can't. You can't control yourself. But the Spirit of God can control you, give you faithfulness that you can't possibly work up on your own, help you to be gentle when it's your nature to crush and to hurt. He can put his control in your life in such a way that people look and think you're disciplined, and you're not at all. It's the Spirit of God working, giving you love and joy and peace, and he wants to do that. But there are a couple of ways that we can look at this list. We can just look at it and go, it's hopeless. Look, you got me. I found a couple of these that I'm kind of most of the time, if you don't mess with me too much, but mostly, nah, you know, this list, sorry. I guess I can't be a good Christian. You can go away feeling defeated and discouraged, looking at your past and believing that your future is just going to be what your past is. On the other hand, you can look at this list and say, yep, that's me. I hope some of these other people are listening, though, because this world would be a lot better if some of these other people, like people in my family, would start to obey these rules of conduct. Or you can look at it and say, oh, man, it's not me, but this is what I want for my life. And you can draw close to God and allow, make your priority, your relationship with the Spirit of God, and let Him grow these characteristics into your life. And it's going to take time. It's not going to happen just overnight. It's taken you a lot of years to get as messed up as you are. And it's going to take God a long time to work it all out. But He wants to do that. And it starts with you and God. And as you allow the Spirit to work in your life and, and, and you repent of your sins, you admit that you're a failure. You look at this list and go, yep, that's not me, but that's who I want to be. And then you let God do the work, you're going to see some crazy things happening in your life. Because all of a sudden, these traits, this fruit, it's going to start popping up. And going, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I can't believe I was loving to somebody and it surprised me. I was patient in a way that shocked even me. You know, I was, somebody trusted in me and depended on me, and I came through. I didn't bail. I didn't run. And as we see God working in our lives, it's this incredible confirmation. Okay, I think I'm getting it. I need him constantly, but I want to look like him. I want to look like Jesus. And so I will continue to tap into my fellowship with him so that he can do the changes that I know that he wants to do, so that he can do that work in my heart by his spirit and begin to grow things that I can't grow on my own. Finally, here he wraps up this passage by saying in verse 23, against such there is no law. No law. Remember where this conversation started there were Judaizers who were telling the Gentiles in the Galatian churches that in order to be good Christians, they needed to obey the law. And Paul wrote this book to say, no, number one, you can try to obey the law, but you can't obey it. 
Number two, that's not where your righteousness lies. It's in Jesus. It's what he has done for you. And so he's stressing over and over again, no, this isn't a life where you follow the rules. And therefore, I'm not just telling you, okay, your homework for this week is to love. Next week, we'll do joy. The next week, peace. If you try these enough, one at a time, boy, you'll get it, you'll get it down, and finally you'll be in self-control. Nah, it doesn't work that way. But if, by the Spirit of God, God begins to do a work in your life and change you from within, and if all you worry about is your relationship with Him and let Him do the rest, you don't need the law. You don't need for anybody to set rules for you. It's why Jesus said, oh, the whole law, all of those hundreds of commandments, it really comes down to love God and love your neighbor. And then later He just says, new commandment I give, love one another, that's all. That's what you need to do. That's the law, love. Fruit of the Spirit, love. The law summed up, love. That's it. As Augustine said, rule of life, love God and do anything you please. And there's a profound truth to that. We don't have to figure out the rules to life. And I don't believe that the Bible is a rule book, an instruction manual for life. Sounds good when people say it. It's a, it's a message from God that gives us God's heart, that allows us to recognize, here's what you're supposed to look like when you're doing it right. Pointing us back to relationship. That's all God ever wanted from his people is a relationship. And so for us, as we learn to walk in the Spirit, this stuff will happen, and you won't need rules. This stuff will happen, and you don't need to force yourself, discipline yourself. No, he'll change you from within. That's what he wants to do. And I'm glad because if he even boiled it down to a handful of do's and don'ts, I couldn't do it. I couldn't make myself loving if my life depended on it. I couldn't make myself faithful for the long haul, no matter how hard I grip my teeth and try. That kind of faithfulness only comes from the Spirit. It's the fruit of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we look at this passage here in Galatians 5, we feel like a rogues gallery because those works of the flesh, they keep popping up. We try to do good, next thing we know, we're mad at somebody. Lord, the fruit of the Spirit, it's like a dream. If we lie to ourselves enough, we can convince ourselves that it sounds like us, but then we get in a tight spot and we realize how little love and joy and peace, faithfulness, gentleness, how much we really have. And so, Lord, we come back to you. It comes down to your spirit working in our lives. Without you, we can do nothing. God, work in our lives by your spirit. Begin to develop these characteristics. This list of the fruit of the spirit is the blueprint, the DNA of who you are. We desire to resemble you. So, Lord, do that cloning work by a relationship with you whereby we begin to take on your characteristics. We become more related to you. 
And as John said, now we're the children of God, but it hasn't yet appeared what we'll be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope purifies himself. Lord, we want to be purified. And we know that it has to happen because you do it. Lord, may you help us this week to report for duty, to admit who we are, so that you can make us who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. If you are here today,